Hello and welcome to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. It's a good episode today because I have a friend from back in the day. His name is Enrique Aguayo. He was uh, not far away from here for an assignment and he decided to drop by to have a brief conversation with us. In this podcast, he tells us about his experience living abroad as a Mexican and how his wife has been influential in his career and also the power of education. I hope you enjoy the show. Take it away. Hello and welcome to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I'm very happy to be hosting a friend from uh, 15 years ago in back in Mexico. Uh, he flew directly from Ciudad Guzman to be here for this podcast. So I'm really happy to be here with my friend uh, Enrique Aguayo. How are you, Enrique? Really fine. How about you? <laughs> so how was the here. flight uh, all the way from Ciudad Guzman? A little bit bumpy because we don't have airplanes in there, but yeah, <laughs> it was really nice. You know, I I think I told you before, but uh, I have this joke with my wife yeah. that whenever we go to a new country, we go to a small town and I say like, this is the Ciudad Guzman of France. Okay. This is the Ciudad Guzman of uh, Germany. This is <laughs> nice. It's very popular. So Ciudad Guzman is very popular and a really important city for the people who live there. <laughs> No, but it's uh, it's good. Let, let's uh, start from the beginning. How you are, are originally from Ciudad Guzman? Actually, not. Actually, no? I was born in Guadalajara. Really? I was born in like back in near to near my yeah near, near, where near your house. From, yeah. uh, you remember that I was uh, I was actually born uh, in Guadalajara near Alcalde in that yeah, area. Yeah. But but my family lived in like back in near to Clinic Forty. You were you were living in that in that clinic? Uh, no, I was not born there. I was born in another one, but my, but my family lived there. I lived well, like yeah, yeah, four yeah. blocks away from that yeah, clinic. I remember <laughs> uh, Manuel Rivera Cambas was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, was the street. I think you live like two streets away. Yeah, from yeah. There. Actually, whenever people would ask me where I live, I would use that clinic as a reference. Yeah, like you know this clinic, like yeah. Yeah. Rio Nilo and yeah. San Jacinto. Yeah, but so. but uh, so. Why you went from Guadalajara to Ciudad Guzman? So I was born in late 81, yeah. and then my father decided with my, with my mother to move back to Ciudad Guzman. They are both from there. Okay. Uh, so we, as a family, moved in December 84. Just ah, to so you, used, you lived in, Mex in Guadalajara a couple of years? A couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and then I was in Ciudad Guzman just to receive the, the earthquake in 85. I remember the earthquake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, Ciudad Guzmán was the second most devastated city in Mexico. Yeah, as a country, but Mexico City was really bad, and the second one was Ciudad Guzmán. Really, no one really cared about Ciudad Guzmán because it was so small. I remember yeah. that I I was having breakfast and I was getting yeah. ready to go to to school and we used to have a chandelier on our yeah. table and it was moving. And what's happening? Yeah. I, I also but I, I actually I do remember because I've been to Ciudad Guzman several times and I do remember you still have like ah this is this got destroyed with the earthquake you know <laughs> yeah. all these uh, stories about that yeah. I, and actually I don't remember in which year the towers of the cathedral of yeah. Ciudad Guzman uh, were built again and then in '85 they were gone again so they were gone for several years 
a lot of years, several decades. And I think like two or three years before 85, they finished them again. And, and again, <laughs> they... And now? Do you have them? Uh, no, no, no. These are like, they, they're like it's a, a bad moment. Let's, let's, let's stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the two, second or third time that, that it happens. So yeah. But uh, so your parents moved back to Ciudad Guzman with yeah. you. With you, you have other brothers and sister. I have a sister. My sister uh, was born in July in '84, uh, so she was a few months old mm -hmm. when we went back to Ciudad Guzman. My father started a business. He started a. a Office supplies uh, uh, store Office? with, with yeah. a bookstore, yeah. well, mainly a bookstore, and then he started including more office supplies and paper uh, for and and your mother. Store. My mother, she, she was always a, a housewife, so uh, her family lived there as well. So my grandfather, some some of her sisters and brothers, uh, also for my father. Uh, so it was really easy to move back to to Guzman. They wanted to. Uh, they have lived in Guadalajara, I think, for a few years only, like four or five, four or five years. Maybe they didn't even like it. <laughs> my mom, not that much. My father studied in Guadalajara, so he, he was used to it uh, by then. But then uh, he was working in Carlos Moya. You remember that? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, that's where that I used to buy all my yeah. of, uh, school supplies. Before Gombil yeah. was uh, actually yeah. even relevant. Yeah. So... Uh, he, he was working there for several years, but then he decided, okay, I'm going to open mine and, and go to, to Sudaguma, and, and, and that's what he did. You are, we'll get to this, but you're a pretty educated uh, individual. Okay. Where do you think this come from? Do you think it came from this? Like this, uh, you were around books your whole life? or the, I, I think a couple of things were important. One was that I was always around books, and my father always pushed me to, to read a lot. Uh, he, he would encourage me to do it. Uh, and the other thing is my wife. She, she has really been uh, encouraging me to, to do it also because uh, she has been even more academic than I. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, actually, the, when I started the master, was basically uh, it was interesting to me, and she was going to start it as well, so we decided to prepare together. And she went to computer science, and I went to automatic control theory. So that's how it happened. Likewise for me, I think my wife, my wife is uh, a way be better lawyer than I am. I don't have <laughs> <I doubt>. that. <laughs> but uh, but this about your wife. This came later in life, no? Yeah, because uh, since I met you, I remember. I don't remember the precise date, but I remember you were living with my one well, no, with my compadre yeah. Marco. Yeah. Uh, it was a group of young guys from Ciudad Guzman that yeah. rented a house and. Yeah. To go to study because most of you, when you and basically go to study, you also live there. <laughs> I spent a lot of time there, <laughs> but uh, even since then, which I don't know, you had already met uh, your wife. Yeah, yeah, we, we were uh, together. Uh, we were classmates in, in high school. In high school, in okay. Cebetis, uh, but then we became both and girlfriend when we finished uh, high school. Uh, we were seventeen years old. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, then we dated, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, for 10 years, and we are going to be, uh, actually, we just turned 10 years of marriage uh, last week. Good. So, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, so <laughs> it's like a uh, long, but I was going to say that since I met you, you were always, you always uh, I always saw you as someone who was dedicated to his studies. Yeah, yeah. that's. 
that's been part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, um, how, how was life in Ciudad Guzman when you were growing up? Uh, life was really, I, I would say, simple, secure, safe. Uh, it was easy to move. You know, the town is uh, 100,000 people mm. living in there. It's uh, easy to go from one side to the other. Uh, even though that you don't realize at that moment, uh, it's, it's in general uh, a very small city with the possibility to become practically a, a city that can move people by bike or by public transportation. Mm. However, uh, you know, situation in Mexico, is, it, it doesn't happen like that there. So in that sense, uh, uh, even though that I moved a lot in, in bike when I was in secondary or in high school, uh, I also used transport uh, public. Uh, but as soon as I got a car or got the possibility to drive, then forget about everything and, and, and using a car. But it was really simple. It's a safe. You mentioned safe because in, yeah. in Guadalajara you know, or in some other bigger cities, There were some instances of violence, and yeah. I think in Ciudad Guzman... No, not at that time. Not at that time, but no. it came later? It came a little bit later. Uh, as far as I know, uh, and for my talks with my family and everything who, who still live there, uh, violence has increased as well in Ciudad Guzman as in many other places. Uh, also with Marco, we have discussed a lot that the, the situation that is happening there. Uh, the new business around in, in town uh, have to do with berries, yeah. blueberry, raspberry, and all the, the production of all that, and avocado. So uh, they're bringing a lot of people, but a lot of people... Uh, from the region? From, the no, region? no, no, not all of them from the region. Some come from Oaxaca, some come from different ah, really? far places. Just to work in the... Just to work in, mm. in, in, in that uh, kind of uh, agriculture things. So. The, the big problem is that the city is growing too much, too fast. Mm. And in general, when that happens, that has consequences. Uh, a lot of cafes and bars and everything has been open in, mm -hmm. the, in the last five to ten years. So uh, even though that it creates some economic movement, some, some good things in the economic part, that is becoming harder and harder to find a house to live or an apartment or different kind of things. It was not like that when I was growing up. It was pretty safe, pretty much safe to yeah, move yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I was in Ciudad Guzman like a couple of years ago, and yeah, I was surprised that there's this whole segment of the economy that just deals with growing like these uh, exotic uh, yeah. berries for for export. Maybe. Basically, they're yeah. for export to the United States. Uh, so yeah, and and also a lot of production of avocado in the last five to ten years. Mm. And actually, I wanted to buy a couple. I wanted to, I wanted to try them, and they're not even available to buy for the look. Only like a small portion of the ones that are, are perceived to be damaged, you can buy them. Some of them, yeah, and and some of them, when they cannot move it fast enough, they sell it to the tianguis, to yeah. the to the public market. So uh, that's a, that's a way that we can get some of those. But usually, uh, they're mainly for export. I was amazed when I saw that. Yeah. And it's only not only that, also some kind of paprika. Uh, paprika? Uh, so, uh, mm. A lot of production in that has happened as well. I have family who, who works in that segment as well. And uh, But like you said, this came uh, much later. Yeah. When you were growing up, so then like you talked about your influences and maybe some of your the reasons why you decided to pursue academics uh, quite seriously. Mm. But how was um, 
Did you, you're an engineer. Was that always what you wanted to become? No, of course not. <laughs> I was far from it. Uh, when I was little, I wanted to be a, a doctor, a, a, a medicine doctor. Mm. Uh, but then, uh, as I was growing up and in the business with my family, particularly with my father, uh, I was really into studying marketing. Marketing. So most of my process to get into university were in the marketing area. But then I started realizing, even from high school uh, to, to the moment that I was going to start, that I didn't really like the administrative area. So I started to look around and I landed on industrial engineering, which is the most administrative <laughs> engineering that there is, but still uh, I changed to engineering. And during the, the, the bachelor in industrial engineering, I noticed that I, I liked more the the mathematical area, the, the more technical parts than the soft parts of engineering. So then discussing with, with a professor and with my wife now, uh, I decided to go to the master's in automatic control uh, into a research center that is in Guadalajara, Simvesta. Yeah, this is uh, like, a, can you tell us a bit more about this uh, center? Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be like a, like a place where scientists go, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a master with scientific approach yeah. and basically what it, uh, <laughs> what it was is one of the, at the moment, hardest places to get in. I remember yeah. that we were like 100 people applying to the master in control and only 12 of us were accepted. Uh, it was located near El Palomar yeah. at that time. Uh, and just to give you an idea, uh, the they didn't they didn't they didn't even need to to do some uh, outreach outreach activities yeah because a lot of people, people came yeah. yeah and and when you would go basically the message from the from the researchers in there is like it's really hard to come here i don't think you're going to make it but you can try <laughs> so when when i applied for me it was a big change because coming from industrial engineering to a a master that is more related to electronics or to a more technical background, uh, it required me a lot of effort, a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, discipline to learn to study in a different way that I have done it all my life. So uh, it was really, really hard. However, I, I managed to, to do it. But basically, the theoretical approach in that uh, research center is really good because then you pretty soon during your master start creating some new things in, in theoretical ambient. Uh, so in a very scientific way, you start writing a scientific publication or different kind of uh, uh, approaches to go to congresses to to share with different uh, researchers. And who are the the professors teaching here? They they do this like uh, full time. Basically, they are researchers full time, and the classes are give you basically what you don't know <laughs> very fast. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, uh, most of them are great researchers. I wouldn't say that they're the most uh, pedagogical people. Yeah, they, yeah that because is, they're focused on their focused research. On research. Yeah. So the way it works, for instance, at the time that I was there, uh, in the control department there were, I think, seven uh, professors. And then all of them would offer topic for thesis. And then, depending on the ranking of the students, uh, when the time comes to select a, a topic, the first 
ranked person would select first and then the second one until you until all of them have at least one student yeah. and then the eighth one would select again from all the possible ones like uh, the draft yeah <laughs> so so which rank were you I was the first one. In, in that one. Yeah, <laughs> I was the first one to select. So Sion like Williamson in the NBA. <laughs> Whoa! So well, the, the, I remember hearing about this from Marco, yeah. and it really, it would, it really surprised me that it seemed like a, an institution more similar to those institutions in developed countries. That doesn't seem to be like the norm in in yeah, Mexico. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Uh, it's it's a really it's a, it's a place where you really create science. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's very technological uh, because for that you require a lot of more money and budget. However, the the level of competitiveness in, in theoretical and scientific uh, uh, results are really, really good. Uh, I, I, I have noticed that when I have traveled to different places uh, that my background technically, scientifically, is strong, is solid. solid. So... In, in that sense, I, I can really say that it's one of the best institutions in Mexico. Uh, and, and I can point out to some universities in Mexico that are really good, but uh, uh, in, the, in a graduate student level, I think this is one of the best. Uh, the only competence in that level, I think, would come with Politecnico Nacional, yeah. UPN, UNAM. And those are all in Mexico City. Yeah. yeah. And, and some really good efforts that are coming from Tecnológico de Monterrey. Basically, that's it in Mexico. And, um, but when you decided to go here, you had you went directly from when you finished your studies? No, I stopped for a year and a half. I went back to Ciudad Guzmán to work with my father in the, in in the store. Yeah, in, in the, we were working in wholesale. Uh, around the, the region of Ciudad Guzman. So I started working there and preparing for the master because I lacked some uh, mathematical background, particularly mm -hmm. in control theory. Basically, the reason that I was accepted was because I was still very good in mathematics, but I didn't know anything about control theory. So I had to learn everything from scratch. And you did this on your own? Uh, at the beginning, I had to study during the master because a common comment in one, from one of the... Researcher was like, okay, this is exactly as it happens in in classic control, so I will not explain it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so I need to, to learn that on my own. Uh, however, since the approach were a little bit different, I could go uh, and continue with the with the learning, even though that I, wa I wasn't uh, completely uh, sound in that area. And and then as time went by, I started uh, learning all of the previous things that I had to know on my own and with the help of my advisor. Uh, that's how it happened. So you went back to Ciudad Guzman, then yeah. you went to the master's? Yep. And then you finished the, the, your studies there? Basically, uh, I, it was a full-time activity being the master. We would have a scholarship from yeah. Conacyt, yeah. Uh, around 6,000 pesos at the time. Uh, and for that... Which is good, but it's not, it's not enough. I remember that the professors would say it's good enough for you to live, but not enough for you to drink. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it was a good way to put it. And uh, so you were m making a bit of money at least to yeah, subsist. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, something happened in my family uh, close to the end. Uh, I started in 2005. 
Uh, and then in 2007, my father got a job position in Mexico City. So I had to go and take over the business for a while, uh, basically just to uh, start a transition to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I stayed there for like six, seven months and came back to finish the master. Uh, but then I had no money anymore because the scholarship stopped in, in September 2017. So I had to live with my savings, credit cards and whatever I could from September to December. And I also started working in Philip Morris in the cigarette yeah, factory yeah. Uh, in the beginning of 2008. And, and I, you, were, you were doing this at I, the I same time? I was just finishing the thesis, the okay. thesis work. Uh, and I finished that in March 2008 while I was still working. Uh, and then I stayed working in Philip Morris for a couple of years. You stayed there? Yeah, I stayed in there for, first I was a shift supervisor, a uh, uh, jefe de producción. So it was more with the... Industrial background. Yeah the, yeah, the industrial background that you had from the beginning. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and I remember that I really... Hated it. Uh, no, I really hated the master. I was so <laughs> tired, I was so exhausted of it. Uh, and on top of that, you had to study. You, you had to work. Yeah. So the, the uh, and, and I didn't fully understand everything. So I said, okay, no more of that. I don't want to know everything about it. And I remember that I even burned some notebooks and everything. <laughs> so yeah, it was like my close, closure <laughs> party. Like, yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. And then after two years working in industry, I realized, okay, academy is not that bad. <laughs> and then I decided to go back to the PhD. And... When I went back to the PhD uh, during the during the second uh, uh, period of of the PhD, I also got the possibility to start teaching one class in Tecnológico de Monterrey. Where did you do your PhD? Uh, also in Simbestaf. Ah, so you yeah. did it there. Okay. I, I went back to Simbestaf, okay. and I was teaching one lab class in uh, uh, in Tec in Tec de Monterrey. Mm. Um, so it was also for, for great which uh, it was graduate uh, graduate level. Yeah, for the bachelor in mechatronics, yeah. uh, electronics, and I think yeah, those two uh, groups uh, bachelors would take the, the class with me. Uh, basically, it was an applied uh, process, uh, an applied laboratory of, of uh, classical control, which I didn't really know fully. However, I would have to learn completely to 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 do it. And I remember that uh, a great colleague, now my friend, Joaquin Campos, he made an interview with me and he said, okay, so I think you have a good idea of what control is, but make a, an example with me. There is some plant, there is some equipment, do an example for me. And it was really hard because I didn't have the documentation. I, I think I spent like two weeks trying to make all the modeling and all. And then someone said, oh, here, this, this is the documentation of the plant. And then I uh, come on, and I was struggling <laughs> with this for two Ooh. full weeks. Uh, and then when I saw it, I found all the parameters of the plant, and I controlled it in like half an hour. <laughs> so it was not that hard, but the problem was the mathematical modeling of it. Yeah. This control part is the one that you said that in the in your master's program they would skip through, like oh, okay, so everyone yeah. has to know this <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that so eventually you learned. Uh, I eventually learned it. Yeah. Uh, so what I used to do is I would go for a twenty-minute class, very fast, with my advisor, uh, Doctor Ramirez Treviño, and he would say, "Okay, this," and I said, "That's it? Yeah, yeah, it's so simple." And then I would study it on my own, and then go to teach it, and 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 
create a, a, a practice from it. So we would have some equipment, and the student would go some, do some modeling with some information, and and then apply the technique and see that it actually works in real life. And uh, this experience of teaching, I think you seem to like it, no? Because yeah. then you kind of found a career in that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, that's that's what happened. I kept teaching for almost three years, and then some good things came together. Uh, there was a a position open in Tech de Monterrey, uh, and my my manager there, my boss, was Joaquin Campos, and he talked to my advisor and said, "Okay, I have a position. If Enrique graduates, I think we can get him to 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 get that position." So I had already some advances of my doctoral work, so my advisor said, "Okay, I think he has enough. Hurry and do the, uh, write the thesis, and let's see if we can finish by December 2012." But in in the summer of 2012, I was in Spain, in Zaragoza, with a, in a, a research visit for the University of Zaragoza from April to July, basically. Yeah, to June. And, and then uh, that's when I started writing everything. When I was flying back to Mexico, I got a, a message from my boss in Tecno Monterrey, and he said, eh, a professor just dropped. I, I really need uh, some help with a couple of more classes. Can you take them? You'd really make uh, a good solution for me. I said, okay, yeah. I have spent all my money in Zaragoza because <laughs> you know the economy is so different between yeah. Mexico and, and Europe. I said, yeah, of course. And when I arrived, my advisor said, okay, if you finish your thesis, then uh, you will graduate and there is a possibility in tech. So I had to write the thesis. Teach more uh, classes teach more classes, and then we were uh, in the final stage of the organization of a workshop uh, uh, that, that is one of the most important, the most important one in our area that was happening in Guadalajara during, I think it was September or October, the same period, and I was in charge of logistics and that. So, you so must have been I was going really crazy. Uh, I was going to the crazy. Yeah. Maximum. That was the, the, the one of the maximum levels of stress I've had. <laughs> uh, I was working on my thesis during weekends, uh, doing some teaching, working on the thesis as well, and preparing the congress. So it was a really, really big, big mess. But it was uh, in the end, I finished it. I got a position in tech, and I started as a full-time professor in 2013. And then, basically, after one year, uh, the the program director of the Bachelor in Mechatronics uh, got an offer to move to a different position. So I was invited to to participate like in a recruitment process for the new uh, program, program director, director in, in the Mechatronics Bachelor. And in the, in the end, they selected me. And I started as a, as a program director in 2014. And uh, what's the difference between that position to the position you were doing before teaching? Oh, okay. So a full-time uh, professor would teach four classes and um, probably try to do some research, uh, research activities. And that's a, that's a requirement to do research in. Not for all, but for instance, I wanted to go to the to be part of the SNI, the, yeah. the yeah. National System of Researchers in Mexico. So uh, I also wanted to continue to do some research activities. Uh, so, what what I what I did was to uh, put that on hold to go to the 
to the program director position because the program director position is the administration of all the students affairs everything that had to do with assignation of courses for the next semester uh, making sure that the experience during the the bachelor is good uh, that the program is growing in terms of number of students in terms of quality of the of the student outcomes and that kind of things and I was only teaching two classes per semester instead of five at the moment and that was because you wanted to continue doing it or uh, no no uh, that is the, the, the normal the requirement of a program director uh, and but also I had to travel a lot to high schools to attract people to oh, study really? that was yeah. part of your job that was part of my job so in in a part I was also selling the the program which was really good that, uh, I don't know if you remember that when I was in the bachelor, I was also working as a scholar for Procter Gamble. And I learned to, to sell in that because I was in a sales team. So then it all came together. <laughs> and you, did you like doing this? Yeah, I actually liked it a lot. Uh, fortunately, I got good results. And after a little bit more than a year, I was offered a new position as an area uh, director with three bachelors now, computer science, electronics, and information technologies. And another, uh, the, the, the newly appointed uh, regional uh, director, how do you call the, the uh, I, I forgot the word, the, 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 the director of the whole engineering school yeah. for the Pacific uh, uh, or West region of Tecla Monterrey, together with my, uh, the engineering uh, director, they invited me to collaborate with a team uh, around, the, around Mexico to, to coordinate a little bit the new, uh, the new model activities for different bachelors. So I was traveling to Monterrey together with him to, to be part of the, of the team who was coordinating the activities of all the, the new model of study of Tecla Monterrey that is that it was just released now and it's going to start in August 2019. Uh, so basically I was just making sure that all the teams of the different programs were working correctly and trying to give them some guidelines to, to make their work easier. The, the work is all from them. I was just coordinating some activities. Uh, and it was also a really, really good experience to, to be part of that. This that is a, Tecno Monterrey is a really important institution in Mexico. How how is growing a lot <laughs> in the last? I actually attended their their high school. Yeah. I migrated from their high school, but I've seen that since then up until now it has grown enormously. Yeah, it has grown both in uh, number of students and infrastructure, reputation. And, uh, yeah, reputation. Global even. Globally, yeah. Right now it's among the best two thousand universities in the world. The 200 yes. universities, sorry, yeah, uh, and in Mexico is uh, recognized as the best uh, private university, and it's always competing with UNAM, with yeah. the National Mexican University, which is public, to be the first in Mexico. So that is a, a pretty good result. I, I I believe that something that is happening now that is the new 2019 model that is going to be implemented in all of the programs is a more practical approach. And that is really good because it's no more uh, concern about what the teachers 
show and what the content of the course is. So right now it's a, a lot of uh, learning experiences all mixed together uh, with challenges that make the students learn whatever they need to solve uh, challenges. That is that is the way that is organized um, now. Something really good because that's yeah. when you're studying in the university and then when you go to the professional life, you see that there's a disconnect. Yeah. There's okay. a disconnect between the academic side and the actual needs of yeah. the the business or whatever field you want to do. Completely. But how 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 did you gain like this insight or where was it something done internally in the yeah, it was Monterrey? it was completely developed inside. Uh, a lot of efforts were to obtain information of different ways that different universities around the world were working. So, for instance, instead of having now uh, the engineering school, instead of having an offer of around 20 bachelors, yeah. what happened is that there will be only five entry points. So one entry point would allow you to later study mechatronics, industrial engineering, mechanics. One, another entry point would allow you to study electronics, computer science, and that kind of programs. Another entry point would allow you to study bioengineering, uh, biomedics, and that kind of uh, areas. So uh, another one was for civil engineering. Uh, in, in that sense, you would get entry points, and then you would get specialized later. So like a major and minor, yeah. similar to, so to the way it happens. similar to the American system. S similar in that way but very, very flexible. So now the students wouldn't, ha wouldn't select courses. There are some, the basic mathematics and some of them, but then they would select challenges. And challenges are equivalent to two or three courses. And, and those challenges is the way that they're going to be learning the new activities. Of course, there is a lot of discussion whether if uh, the implementation allows to, to really become an engineer uh, in, uh, in a very professional way because if you're only learning some technique to do that, that's something that a technical person can do. You don't need a, an engineering degree for that. And the engineer must, must solve the technical issue, but also think how to solve it in a more general way. Yeah. So I, I think the implementation is going well. Uh, of course, it's going to require to, to keep improving, but, but the, uh, I, I know the person who are, for instance, the one who are leading in the national way, the mechatronics program, the, the results I'm, I'm confident that are going to be really good and because that is one of the, the programs that I know the best that and uh, this was exclusively for the sciences or no, no, was no. it also implemented for humanities it, it was also for humanities and management uh, administration and that so actually uh, some efforts are happening also in the medical school so uh, the tech Monterrey has a yeah. medical school yeah, yeah. but not in Guadalajara uh, now also now, now there is yeah. one in Guadalajara uh, it, it uh, I think it started at around 2010, 2012. Ah, I'm not with that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's becoming with a great, with a very good reputation, also in Guadalajara. So, m medicine there's only in Monterrey, in Guadalajara, and Mexico, Mexico City. City. Mm. That's that's the the three offers that there are. Well, this is pretty pretty impressive, and you were part of it internally, so that you yeah, must yeah. be pretty proud of it. Yeah, of course, of course I do. <laughs> uh, but most of the time, I told you I was just coordinating some documentation, and not not creating the the actual uh, value in the content of the of the programs. However, it, it was amazing to see how it was evolving 
from a traditional way to a new way of uh, a new educative model. Um, the the new uh, uh, the new dean of of the University of Tech de Monterrey, he has uh, a lot of he has put a lot of effort into defining the model together with a, a, a lot of people. And I think that's the reason he was chosen to be the new leader of the university, uh, like three years ago. So I, I'm interested in hearing your opinion because uh, sometimes when you are working for many years, far removed from your uh, experience as a student, mm -hmm. you you tend to become a bit jaded. You you start to, I mean, it becomes like the day-to-day -day thing that you do, and then yeah. you start like becoming a bit disconnected and. Actually, that's why I am lucky enough to have the experience of talking to young people who want to go to university. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I feel so refreshed because they have like yep. so many new ideas, so many perspectives, a lot of new passion. New ways of seeing life. Yeah. Yeah. And this is always reinvigorating. Was that also part of what attracted you to do this kind of work, to be around this? Uh, because when I hear this, I... I'm always concerned about the future of the world. But yeah. when I talk to these young students, I'm always like, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe yeah. <laughs> exactly. they, they will figure out the problems that we couldn't figure out. I, I, I think that, uh, of course, it's very invigorating and it's really uh, an area that interested me. I actually, I, I keep teaching an online class uh, for Tech de Monterrey, uh, a control class. Uh, I, I've been doing even since I moved to, to Sweden. So... Anyway, uh, I, I really think that the generations of today are completely different yeah. from what we were doing. Uh, they they lack challenges presented in a different way. So if we are able to help them to learn in a better way, then I, I think the goal of the university is done properly. Uh, however, I also think that uh, sometimes these uh, new generations need to work a little bit on resilience. Yeah. Uh, life is not fair all the time. Uh, not everything will go according to what you plan. Especially if you were born in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not everything is going to be easy. So uh, I remember that I have had a lot of challenges uh, dealing with that, with the students, because, of course, when you're a student and then a professor put a lot of pressure on you, you're feeling it and, and you don't really appreciate it. But in the long run, I think it's great that you have that experience. And uh, maybe a few years later, you will say, okay, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah. Uh, even though that du during the process, it was the a bit of suffering. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I hated the most of my previous position, was, that was the program director position, was dealing with parents coming to try to defend their, 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 their kids. <laughs> To, to solve the issues that they are having with a professor or with, or with a class. I, I think that's far, like, far from reality. You were like sort of like a mediator between... I needed to be. That was part of my yeah. job description. So uh, I, I really don't think that, uh, that, that that is something that should happen. I, I, I really believe that the students in a university level are adults. They, they, they have to deal with their own problems. And, of course, uh, we can all agree that, that there can happen, that there exists an abuse from a professor. Of course, that can happen. 
and and I will not say that it never happened, but I I'm I know my colleagues, and I can honestly tell you that never I heard one of them or saw one of them. Ah, I don't like that guy. I'm going to fail him. That that never happened. Sure. <laughs> so maybe when you're a student, you you feel it that way. Uh, but I really believe that it's far from, from the truth, at least in the environment that I was working with. And I'm pretty happy to say that most of the time that it happened, uh, we were able to talk to both the, the student and the, and the family, the, their parents, to explain that sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes uh, some effort is required for, for the student. And sometimes a professor has to, to, to make a, a decision and fail someone if they don't have the competence that they need to go to to the next course or to clear that subject. But it's not easy, but it's part of your responsibility as a professor. The uh, Tecno Monterrey is a private institution. Yep. It's a really expensive one. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of privileged kids who have like a privileged life go here. Are these the ones that mainly you face this problem? Because I know that the institution also provides a lot of scholarships to, yeah. but <clears throat> like what, what percentage would you say that related more to this kind of? I, I don't have any statistics, but, but of course, uh, in my, my perception, and it's only an opinion, I think it happened more with that kind of uh, personalities, yeah. uh, people with that background, uh, because of course they were used to some more comparable situations. Uh, and uh, in general, even though that, that happened, the energy that you, you get from students, the energy and the way of seeing things from different young people, I think, as, as you said, it's really invigorating. Yeah. And it's really amazing how, how you can uh, get to be very close to them sometimes. I, actually, now that I was coming here to Geneva, I, I also sent a message to a former student who is in Zurich. He said, yeah, of course I would like to, to go, well, maybe next time, because he's playing uh, hockey. Yeah. So he's going to be in the final today of his team. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he can't make it. <laughs> he, he couldn't make it, but, but it's really nice that uh, some, you, you have good connections and good friends out of there. Uh, last year in Sweden, some students were in one of them was in Germany, and another girl was in Copenhagen. Yeah, in Copenhagen. And they were traveling north, and they decided to go one day and visit me in Gothenburg. So it was nice. Uh, it was really nice. It was yeah. amazing to, and, and, and nice to, to see that we, they're not my students anymore. And they said, okay, I, I want to say hello to you. Can we have coffee or something together? And of course. So, so they spent a day in Gothenburg, and it was really nice, a really nice experience to, to see that. For, for me, I have had contact with, uh, I was answering a recommendation form for a student who is applying to a master. And it said, how many students have you been in contact with in the last five years? And I was making the sum of it and I would go close to 800 students. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not all of them that I was teaching, but a lot of them were in, uh, I was in charge of their of their programs yeah. uh, in, that, in that sense. and. Uh, it's amazing how many people you are in contact with in, in, in such a small time. Uh, a lot of your stories link to the story of your wife. So yep. was that the reason why this eventually you decided to leave this uh, position? Actually, yes. Uh, she got a, a, an offer to come to Sweden. Uh, 
the the position was uh, an engineer in machine learning, but she would be working with real data in a company who wanted to do some activities uh, for machine learning, uh, neural networks, and kind of things. And she has been working with that for several years now. She's also she has a PhD in computer science. So when we were trying to to decide whether to come or not, uh, we put a lot of things in the balance. And one of the things that made made all the difference was the possibility of a better quality of life in Sweden, which I can tell you we it have is. now uh, l come to learn that is completely true. Uh, <laughs> Situation in Mexico is not going in the best moment, uh, and of course, I had a fixed position. I had a good income in Mexico. I, I loved what I did, uh, but even that, the level of stress in Mexico is completely different. Uh, not only in work, work-wise, uh, which I, I could handle and I enjoyed it a lot, uh, but then you don't really notice it until you don't have it. Now I, I'm. I'm working in a company, a consulting company that's called Highland Solutions. Great company with great people in there. We're a very small firm, 15 people around. And, and I'm assigned to Volvo Group. So I'm, I'm working as a verification engineer there. And I'm, I've come to learn that a lot of things can happen and can be good and good results, good performance, without that level of stress. I, I, now I notice it. <laughs> now I know that that things can be done differently, uh, and and it's, the, it's interesting what you mentioned because I, I also had this back pain for yeah. the longest time, and I got used to it. When yeah. the back pain stopped, I was like, I I had this pain, and what happened? Yeah, <laughs> where did it go? <laughs> yeah, I miss so it. I, I kind of relate to what you're saying, and yeah. it's true. I having lived in Switzerland for over twelve years, mm. I. I do see that difference that in Mexico you are constantly working under stress yep. and you, you adapt to it. So you learn how to live with it and you survive it. Yeah, of course. But when you come here, you realize that that's actually not how it should be. Yep. Uh, and another thing, some policies, some uh, governmental policies are really important. For instance, uh, there is a lot of struggle in not only in Mexico but around the world to have gender equality. Yeah. So when, when you see it in the business uh, environment and you are in front of a decision where you would hire a man or a woman, isn't, sometimes uh, the decision that should be based completely on skills is biased by, yeah. by some business uh, decisions. But there is a policy, for instance, in Sweden that... Well, Sweden is leading the way in this uh, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the, the parental leave in Sweden is 18 months to share between men and women. They decide how to, they want to... Yeah, but at least six months should be taken by the father. So, the, what I mean with that is the economic impact to the company who is hiring a, a man or a woman is basically the same if yeah. he hires a man or a woman. It doesn't happen in Mexico. In Mexico, a woman would get three months after uh, they, they, are, uh, they give birth, they yeah. give birth to, to a child. And the father maybe will get one day. So economically, some companies even decide, okay, I'll take them in. Yeah, they can, it be, doesn't make they any can sense. even be open about it. Exactly. It can be like it can be like a bias. Yeah. That, I don't know. Or they can say like, let's hire him because yeah, yeah. he'll not have a. 
and and it's, it's horrible, but but it happens. So uh, if we were uh, if we were to have better policies that that in the end will reduce that gap, then it will be pretty much easier. Because of course, uh, if there is no economic impact that makes a difference, then the the, the decision is is going to be easier to be made in in the way that it should be made. So you have all the cards in front of you and are uh, equal one to the other. Uh, also, Sweden, for instance, is a very open place for immigration. So it's, it's easy to live there. People accept people from other countries. Uh, I, I know that I should learn Swedish, but everybody <laughs> speaks English and makes life so easy that <laughs> now it's becoming uh, too easy to, to live like that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, also, vacations. How many vacations days would you have in Mexico? No, actually, this this was something that I I faced and I remember when it happened because in Mexico, the legal minimum is six days. Yeah. When I first per came year? to six, per year, and that I was used to it. Like I I didn't know it could be different, so I was used to that. The first time I came here and I had like twenty five days of holidays. Yeah, exactly. Let me. I was like, what am I gonna do with exactly. so many? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like maybe I'll take a week here and then I'll see yeah. what I do. But when, it's really easy to get used to it. Yep. And, ah, yeah, of uh, course. <laughs> and when when you have it, you you wonder how did I live like that? How exactly. did I have like six days? Exactly. And it's not that you become even more productive, which if no, you no. were maybe, but that could be a justification. But it's not. It's the, actually the opposite. And I know a lot of people in Mexico who have accumulated thirty years as, uh, uh, of working, and they have like forty days of vacations. And if they dare to try to have 10 days in a row for vacations, it's, it's impossible yeah. for them to get it. In my, in my wife's, in my wife's uh, work, they actually force her to take two weeks in a row, at yeah. least. Yeah. She cannot take less because she's like, you have to rest. Yeah, and, and in Mexico, try to get a complete week or two weeks yeah, in a row. It's, two weeks in a row is basically impossible, yeah. even though that you have the, the, the benefit of the days. And this is, this is amazing because uh, Mexicans always have like this reputation of I think it's wrong, but they have this reputation of being lazy. Yeah. But in the OECD, we're the country that works more hours per per week. Yeah. And we're not the most productive, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of the most working places. Yeah. And I, I mean, we we should get a better in productivity. We should get better in in equality of opportunities. But uh, I, I I think that it most of the the issues come to education and to uh, to giving people the opportunity to 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 work, that, that's basically it. And and this is true because like your education, for example, is a world class education yeah. that you received, and you come to see them, and you are on par with every yeah. of your other colleagues. Yeah, and that's uh, something that uh, you have to thank to the institutions that we have in in Mexico. Uh, and 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 I mean, uh, the institutions were great. Uh, I I had a family who supported me, but I, I think that's what what should happen to everyone. If you want to, you should be able to get it. Uh, if you don't want to, of course, not all of the people have to go to all the the stages in in education. Maybe not all of them need to have a, a bachelor. It doesn't matter. They should be able to to study as much as they want. The conditions for getting a job position that is in equilibrium uh, that allows you to live 
that, that, that should happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen in Mexico. Yeah. When I first came and I noticed the price of the services in Sweden, I was crazy. Yeah. It's amazing how much does it cost anything. But then you realize that the guy who fixes a sweater for you, he That's also... Uh, he, he also has the right to have a good income, to go on vacations, to support their family. And a, and a person who fixes sweaters for a living in Mexico will not yeah, live of yeah, that. Yeah. that and, and, and then you realize, like, okay, we're doing something wrong in there. It's uh, amazing when, when I've, I was in a restaurant the other day and there was only the, the person who was in the kitchen preparing the food. Yeah. And the waiter, one waiter for the whole. Restaurant. In Mexico, you would have yeah. five waiters. Someone exclusively dedicated to bring you water. Yep. Someone who welcomes you uh, yep. Uh, yep. because salaries are very low. Yeah, very low, so they can afford that. But here, and the service, yeah, maybe the service here is a bit slower, but yep. they also have a different approach to life. Yeah, mm. that's correct. And well, uh, I really think that there are many things that can become better in Mexico but we but, have but you as a Mexican some... living abroad uh, what what's your responsibility towards Mexico do you feel any responsibility in that? I, I do that I have a responsibility and first of all since I'm still a teacher it's to try to do the best in there uh, at least be passionate about it and to try to share what I know a little bit uh, that is one of the things another is to make sure that uh, whatever I learn, I can share with some, someone else. So for instance, now I have noticed the, the differences in behavior between Mexican people and people from Sweden. That I, I'll, I say Sweden because it's where I live. And the differences are not that big. Sweden uh, is a great country to live, but I don't see them particularly smarter, <laughs> not better than us. Mm. I don't see that they are really hardworking, not better than us. So that is not the difference. The, the difference that I see comes from some minimal uh, differences in behavior. So people in Sweden, if someone uh, breaks a rule, they see them like a bad person. They, yeah. they judge him a little bit. In Mexico, if you break a rule, you're the smart guy. Yeah. You are, ah, that's how you can do it better. Yeah, el que no tranza no avanza. Yeah, yeah, uh, the one true. who doesn't make any weird stuff will never make it. And this is like ingrained in the culture. Yeah. Like small things. And, very, very small yeah. things. And and at least if if I came to notice this and we can share it with other people, I think it's a good 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 thing to share. Uh, if I would have the possibility, of course, I'd like to, to make some investment back in Mexico. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, first of all, to the people who are closer to me, and hopefully eventually uh, That's also something very ingrained in the Mexican psyche. Like, we we help our yep. our family, yep. and that doesn't happen. That, that actually, that's something that was surprising to me. It doesn't happen here in Switzerland. Because it's not needed. No, but sometimes <laughs> it could be needed. I, I was living with a... The, the first apartment I was living here, I was living with an old lady, mm -hmm. and her son lived in the same building. The son never came to visit her. Okay. That's a little bit horrible. Yeah. And that was <laughs> like something that I, me being a Mexican, like I couldn't understand. Yeah, of course. Understand. Uh, but I think that also is between them. They don't have like this sense of helping 
each other. I mean, they help the society as a whole. Yep. But like with the personal family connections, it's a bit weird. And in Mexico, we a, a little weird for us. Yeah. It's weird the way we behave for them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I I was in a political uh, seminar in Sweden uh, for foreign people, and they were explaining that the the basic of the basis of the political system is called uh, collective individualism. Yeah, and I was like, what? What is that? And basically, the idea is you take care of yourself, and we, as a society, we take care of the young people and of the old people. Yeah. We'll make sure that nothing is missing for them. They all have the basics to live. But you, when you are an uh, economically independent person, you take care of yourself. And that doesn't happen in Mexico because, for instance, uh, my father has a pension, but my mother doesn't because she was always a housewife. <laughs> so... Uh, that, that is not easy to handle. Yeah. Uh, and in here, uh, a lot of uh, people have the opportunity to have a, a good way to live. Maybe not a fancy one, but it's okay. Yeah. And, and I don't know how things are here in Switzerland, but the, the level of income between a people who works as a waiter and a people who works as a research engineer it's not that big as yeah. in Mexico. Yeah. I mean, of course, the researcher wins more money, earns more money, but the they can still go on holidays for two weeks exactly. to and visit. Even if you're a waiter, yeah, and that's great. Yeah. That's great. And and then you come to to appreciate those those differences that are really important. And it's difficult to let them go. Yeah. <laughs> once you have them. Yeah. But so well, we're. Coming to a close here, but I just want to hear your thoughts on what's what's next to for you, what how, what's happening in the next few years for you and your wife. Well, uh, for us, we are really happy to to be now in Sweden. Uh, we would like to to keep working here, uh, obtain first the full time residence, and then the opportunity to to get the Sweden nationalship, which is basically a easy process. Yeah. To, to have, a, a, I've, he, uh, I've heard that it's one of the easiest in Europe, and uh, I, I will be completely honest with that. It was just luck. <laughs> we uh, we decided a job opportunity. We didn't take into account really the country. So landing in Sweden, which is a really advanced place in that sense for accepting immigrants, for allowing people to to become a Swedish and. Uh, good income, good quality of life. I know that we should have put it in uh, perspective, but <laughs> we didn't do it completely. Uh, and uh, I'm right now working uh, as a consultant in Volvo Group. I love my job. I love what I'm doing uh, because I have the opportunity to do management activities in the consultant because I'm the manager for embedded systems. But also I have the opportunity to do technical stuff, which... It's the first time that I do something that technical, that uh, specifically devoted to, to solve some issues. And it's something that, uh, with my industrial background, I couldn't do. And I've never been specifically trained for that, but with all the things that I have learned through my life, I noticed that I can do it, and it's really something that I'm enjoying now as well. It's a nice challenge. And actually, the reason that I came to France was for completing a... a 
kind of a training, learning how to do some things for for the project that we have in in Sweden. And now many things have come have come to together. to the right place, yeah. have come together, and, and I I think it's going to help me a lot to to do my activities in a better way. So that's in the in the short term what uh, our plans are. Well, that's great, and hopefully now that you are here, we'll see each other more often. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Enrique. No, thank you all for inviting me. It was great. Great. Thank you.